Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Mark chapter 10, two verses, 21 and 22. If you're there, say amen. And then Jesus beholding him, loved him and said unto him, one thing you're lacking. Go your way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. You may be seated this morning. Thank you. As a pastor, I love new beginnings. I love change. A lot of people don't like change. Mark Twain said the only person that likes change is a wet baby. But I love change change. I love new starts. I like do-overs. I like seasons. I don't want it to be one season all of the time. And as I prepared for the new year for myself, I think this is going to be an emotional day for me today. Y'all just bear with me. I felt the Lord speaking a kind but very corrective word in a sense of how a parent would take care of you and say, I'm trying to keep you from these steps that are going to hinder you. I'm trying to steer you around these obstacles. And what I felt in my spirit was in the same way that we set new goals and resolutions. Oftentimes, it's not that we don't have the correct amount of will in our resolution. It's not that our direction is not appropriate. It's we're carrying too much stuff from last year into the new year that trips us up. We think it's we don't have willpower. And sometimes it is that. But for us spiritually, I want us just to do a check. Before we go headlong into 2014 and find something that rhymes with 14 and claim it and put it on a bumper sticker, I want to make sure that we're not carrying with us something decaying, something that will infect this coming year. Because once the deal is done, you don't want anything in this year that God wants you to leave in last year. So I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of don't bring it with you. Let me read these and say another quick prayer for myself as I preach. And then I'll give you this brief word this morning. The man, the rich young ruler left because he was sad because he was very wealthy. God doesn't ask us all to give away everything we have, but he knew this man had a thing that stood between him and God. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And of course, we know that that's not a prerequisite for salvation. It's just faith in the son of God. But Jesus was dealing with the core and said, if you don't deal with this thing, this thing will cause you to stumble. This thing will alter your direction. It will eventually change your destination. You've got to deal with this thing. And in, when he was put in the situation where he could hold the thing are going with God. He turned away from God and walked away sad because he had great possessions. What is your thing? The thing between you and God is between you and God. The thing that distances you from God has distanced you from God. The thing that hinders you today may destroy your tomorrow. The thing that begins with rebellion will often end in judgment. 
The thing that you refuse not to own, owns you. The thing that you withhold from God is more important to you than God himself. The thing that impedes your progress will inevitably alter your destination. The thing that you try to bury out of sight has buried many that have come before you. The thing that lives near the border of right and wrong always lands on the side of wrong. The thing that never satisfies you will eventually consume you. The thing that is most painful will never heal itself. The thing that, keep, that you keep from God will keep you from God. And the thing you carried with you last year has no business coming into your new year. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask this morning that you would anoint me to speak this word with clarity. We're looking for instruction today. I know this is not one of those messages that will lead to uh, emotional inspiration. But if it gives us the tools that we need to not self-destruct before we get out the gate, if you would give the entrance of your word light and life into our souls so we know how to walk and how to live. I know what my thing is, oh Lord. And I'm asking you, as I've humbled myself before you, that you give me the character, the character and the courage to leave it in 2013 so that I might fulfill your intentions and purposes in my life and we might do that in our lives corporately. We give you thanks for your word, O oh Lord. And those times where it corrects us, we would rather have correction at your lips than hear rivers of praise from the lips of men. Speak to us out of your book, O oh Lord, that we might be healthy and whole. In Christ's name, amen. Of course, this is not an exhaustive list, but I want to give you seven things that you need to leave in last year. The first thing, if you're taking notes, is the besetting thing. The besetting thing. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says this. Wherefore, seeing we are also encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let us lay aside the weights. The things that slow us down and the sin that does so easily beset us. This is one of the things God will never do for you. God will never lighten you for your spiritual journey. He gives us eyes. He gives us a conscience. He gives us his word. He gives us light. And we shed the things that impede our progress. Now hear me very carefully. We're not talking about obtaining salvation. There is nothing we can do to obtain salvation except receive the grace of God. But having received the grace of God, this verse here is critical. Let us lay it aside. You throw it beside you. Weights and sins. Weights and sins. Of course, a sin is anything that God prohibits. Anything that God says uh, is not available to you. Commandments. But here's a weight. First of all, if God's word declares it to be sinful, it is a weight. But anything that knocks you off course, anything that impedes your progress or mars your testimony is a weight. If it knocks you off course, 
impedes your progress or mars your testimony. If it contradicts who you are and opposes the intentions of God in your life, it's a weight. If it can cause other people to stumble by your testimony, it's a weight. Now, strongholds are simply unaddressed weights, things that we refuse to deal with that take root in our life. And a stronghold will take you at its will and it will not let you go. A stronghold will keep you where you don't want to be. It will drag you backward. It'll devalue you, devalue God and devalue others. A stronghold is something that you hate passionately, yet cling to it ferociously. But God doesn't give you a word like lay aside the weight and the sin that does so easily beset you unless he knows you have been given the capacity to lay it aside. You have within you right now God's spirit, God's power to walk out of any weight or sin that you have fallen into, chose to wallow in, and even been gripped by. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You can walk out of in your own, by your own will, in the power of God's spirit, lay aside. God wouldn't tell you to lay it aside unless you could lay it aside. The besetting thing, the the familiar thing, our default sin, the rationalized thing. What would 2014 be like? If you broke the gravitational pull of that thing, let me tell you by experience, besetting sins are deceptively powerful. And like a rocket that breaks the gravitational force right before you, you, you break out of the pull of that thing, it feels like your whole life, emotions, mind, your cravings, you're going to come apart at the seams and it's you come into freedom. Don't bring it with you into the next year. Lay it aside. What? I might need other people. Lay it aside. Lay it aside and walk away from it. You can if you choose to. Number two, the borderline thing. These are the things where there's no law against them except your own conscience. What the Bible said is not of faith is sin. And this is where a lot of Christians, we get confused. And especially when we're young in the Lord, because you see some Christians doing these things in this culture and other Christians not doing them. And you try to base your belief system on their actions. You're not governed that way. They that are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And you got to be careful not to develop your convictions based on the lifestyle of someone else, whether you respect them or not. The borderline thing, it is allowable. It is allowable. No specific scripture forbidding it, but for you, it's not faith. And if you feel a conviction about something, for you, you just need to abstain from it. You don't build a doctrine out of it or try to straighten anyone else out. But that borderline thing is not really borderline for you. We call them gray areas because God does not say thou shalt not. But you have the spirit of God and you have the scriptures that are connected and you know what's allowable in your life and what's not allowable. You may not be able to go to certain places that other Christians frequent. 
You may not be able to do what they do and do what they do on the weekend or listen to what they listen to, but you don't want to drag into 2014 an inconsistency of uh, halting between two opinions, of being one way and then being the other way. Let me read this to you. A borderline thing is more a matter of maturity than it is of evil. A borderline thing is more a matter of immaturity than it is evil. Borderline Christians ask you this question. What's wrong with it? What's so wrong with it? Mature Christians will ask the question, what's right with it? And if that made you mad, you probably know what side of it you're on. Because in this culture, in this culture we live in, with the message of grace that is needed to be preached with a clarity and a power, there has developed a mindset that says everything's allowable. Sin, gross sin, allowable. But then the things that are, are harmful. But for the Christian, the mature Christian, you understand that all things are lawful except for sinful things, but not all things are expedient. And when we go into 2014, I hear the spirit of the Lord speaking to me correctively. Stop asking what's wrong with it and start asking what's right with it and take the mature path. The borderline thing is easy to rationalize and often emotionally defended. You'll talk to somebody, another Christian about something and go, well, I don't see what's so wrong with you. You Go, whoa, I didn't mean to hit that. My bad, my bad. Scripture tells us that if you correct a fool in their folly, you're safer to take a cub from a mama bear. Has anybody else ever had that experience before? Emotionally defended. The borderline thing, the true nature of it can be found by this question. How much glory does it bring the Lord? Now, I refuse to be that preacher. I refuse. Almost 20 years in this church. I'm not going to be this preacher to tell you which side of the line those things go on. But you know. You know for you. And the line is not as thin as others would have you think it is. He that does not want to fall should not walk in slippery places or close to the line. I told you with the first thing, set it aside. And on the second thing, pick a side. If God be God, then follow him. Number three, the excessive thing. The excessive thing. When Jesus told the rich young ruler, he said, one thing, one thing you lack. You have a life of, of excess and I want you to get rid of the excess. And when he hit the, the one thing for him, it caused a complete revolt in his life. And for many people, this is it. King Solomon lived a life of excess that eventually turned his heart away from the Lord. He received 39,000 pounds of gold each year in tribute from kings of other lands. 39,000 pounds of gold a year in tribute. He had 1,001 wives. Time out. Wisest man that ever lived, 1,001 wives. 
Before we even get into the issue of men are from Mars, women are from Venus or whatever galaxy they're from, I don't know. Before we even get into that part, if you've got a thousand wives and you just see one a day, you're almost three years. It's like, kiss her on the cheek. I'll see you in three years. That math alone tells you something's wrong. But this, this example, well, let me read the other ones about Salma. Hold on. Not just a thousand and one wives, 300 concubines. They're just the mistresses on the side. So 1,301. Mm. 1,400 chariots and 1,200 horses. God told him in Deuteronomy, God told his people, don't let the king's hearts be lifted up to where they multiply gold to themselves, multiply wives unto themselves and multiply horses and chariots because their strength is not in those things. Their ultimate pleasure is not found in those things. Let them be wholly devoted unto me. And Solomon decided to live in excess. And I can hear some of you now, well, I ain't got to worry about that. I don't have no gold. All my gold fits right here. No, it's not a matter of filling the silos with something. It's a matter of living excessively where there's never enough or never anything to satisfy. And let me tell you this about excessive people. They rarely keep their excesses to one thing. It wasn't just the women for Solomon. It wasn't just the gold. It wasn't just the horses. It was later, he said, I withheld from myself nothing that I wanted. So Jesus tells the rich young ruler, he said, uh, Give what you have. Not everybody do this, but you give what you have to the poor and come and follow me. And he was very sad because he was very wealthy. One of the ways that we keep ourselves from falling is that we learn to tell ourselves no. Even things that are allowable, we learn to tell ourselves no, to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow the Lord. What is the thing in your life that's out of control? It's just excessive. You know, it's not like you can go hunting one day. We just have to go every day. Y'all are just staring at me this morning. Was, you know, like shop. I heard someone teach me this year that the therapeutic shopping, they said. It's, it, it's therapy to me. And I just, I go every day. And online shopping has bankrupted many people. And I just every, I have to do it all the time. Listen to this. The thing that is out of balance in your life is bringing imbalance to your life. And balance is a critical word in your home. Again, this morning, I'm not trying to get you shouting. I'm giving you tools. That washing machine in your washing room, unscrew one of those little legs on the bottom or make one of them about an inch longer than the other one or half an inch longer. Wait till it hits spin cycle. It'll walk out of that little room, <laughs> down the hall, till the cord comes undone. And you know what's wrong in some of our lives? We're okay till something hits. And then we're out of balance because God is not the center to which every blessing is connected. There's unbridled excess and unbridled accumulation. And you learn, but we forget the law of diminishing return, which says the 33rd bowl of ice cream is not going to be as good as the first one. If any man would come after me, let him tell himself no. Deny himself and follow me. The thing that is dominating your time, your thoughts, and your resources is the excessive thing. What's dominating your time, your thoughts, and your resources? 
the thing that is out of control, the thing that reached saturation but never satisfaction. I told you with the besetting thing to lay it aside. I told you with the borderline thing to pick aside. And I'm telling you with the excessive thing, bring it into balance. Don't let Christians browbeat you and tell you to abstain from everything and not have joy. If you want a rack of ribs, catfish, eat a rack of ribs. But we don't have to have them every day and every evening. Because when you give a child everything they want every time, you raise a brat. And God sees us telling ourselves yes every time we raise spiritual brats. Number four, the hidden thing. Let us lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset us. I'm pretty sure that all of us have had the hidden sin. The one that we don't advertise, the one that we don't tell other people, the one that brings the greatest shame. Sometimes we hide it because of the rebellion that's at the root of it. Like Achan, when he took the gold and the Babylonian garments and hid them in his tent and God was furious and told Moses, uh, Joshua to get up and stop praying. He goes, there's, there's sin here. You've just covered it over. And by drawing of lots, it narrowed all the way down to Achan's tent. And he said, what have you done? And he said, well, there was this thing that I partook of. You ever wondered as a Christian, is it the thing or is it the burying it that God hates the worst? Because I look at my life and the things that I've done and the things that I've said and the things that I've looked at and the things that I've, I've misrepresented and he could just vaporize us. And it gives us time to, to come clean and, and tell others and tell our spouses and tell our work, uh, employers and tell him. But that attitude of I will bury it and God's none the wiser. I think that's the thing that probably angers him the worst. The hidden thing. Maybe it's hidden because of the shame that's produced by it. Like the prodigal who left his father. He hid himself. That's what he was doing. And our sin is often very shameful. Shame is a cruel taskmaster. And we who are Christians, we... We are made alive by grace, but sin carries the consequences of guilt and shame with it. And sometimes we'll just hide from God and God's house so that we think he doesn't have to see it that way. And maybe it's hidden because of the consequences that would follow it. Do you remember when Jacob worked for Rachel and they had fled from Laban and Laban chased him down and said, you've stole my idols. Jacob said, we've not stolen your idols. We don't worship your false gods. And he went to Rachel and Rachel had buried or hidden these little small statues, idols, under the furniture of the camel. And Jacob said, inspect all of us. Get all the men and women off the camels and look through all our luggage. And you know, if we've done this thing, we're guilty. And she turned to her father and said, I, I, I cannot come down because it's my time of the month. You understand? He said, absolutely. I heard a preacher preach years ago. Don't let Rachel die. 
She died clutching to those idols, idols of fertility, trying to, to give her children that thing that owned her, the excessive thing, the, the uncontrollable thing. Usually we're in two camps about this sin issue. It's don't tell anybody or tell everybody. And may I just offer you humbly as your pastor, you don't have to tell all of your business to people. When you go and find grace from the Lord, whom God's forgiven is a free man. And if God justifies you, who is man that condemneth? But there are some things that happen in your life where healing comes from telling other people. When the man tells his spouse, you know, I looked at things that I wasn't supposed to look at and I humble myself and I ask you to forgive me and his wife prays over him. Or the woman who's been hiding uh, credit card receipts because she spent money they didn't have and it may sound like a small thing to you, but there's that betrayal of trust and she comes before him and says, you know, I'm not telling everybody else, but I, I misrepresented this to you and I'm, I'm asking you to forgive me. There is a part, and if you'll let the Lord guide you with wisdom, you won't cross over into areas of error where you confess your faults one to another that you may be healed, not forgiven, healed of that thing. And when you pop the balloon of secrecy sometimes, it gives you a freedom, a deeper level of freedom than you would have just in finding forgiveness alone. It's the humbling of oneself. Rachel never found it. Achan never found it. Did you know Achan died because of the stuff he hid and buried under his tent? I'll go one further. It killed his wife. I'll go one further. It killed his children. Rachel died bowing down to pieces of stick Asking them to make her pregnant. To give me children lest I die. Clutching her idols. But the prodigal. Who was equally as humiliated. For a Jew to be living in. Or or working knee deep. In the excrement of pigs. Feeding them with husk. When he came out. He said to himself. My father's servants have bread enough to spare and here I am dying with hunger. I will arise and go back to my father and I would tell him I am no longer worthy to be called your son. To come and clean. And as he tried to come clean, the type of how we are with our father, see, I can't say it right enough for him to cleanse me. But the father saw that repentance and interrupted him and said, uh, my son who was once lost is now found. He was once dead and now alive. And he put the ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and he celebrated him. But this son didn't come home secretively. He came home as he was, like he was with a repentant heart. And he was not just forgiven, he was restored. What would happen in your life? And see, here's what we do. We make resolutions. We make resolutions without uh, picking a side. We make resolutions without laying aside the sin that does so easily beset us. We make resolutions without addressing the imbalance in our life. And we make resolutions without ever coming clean. It's embarrassing to come clean. It's also healing to do it. Number five, 
The painful thing. The painful thing. Some of you need to leave in 2013 the thing that's caused you the greatest amount of grief and sorrow. It's hard to let go because of what was done to you. It's hard to let go because of how it was done. It's hard to let go because of when it was done and because of who did it. And for many of us, it's hard to let go of our pain because the person that causes it is still causing it. Painful things are often undeserved and can be seemingly insurmountable and irreversible. Maybe for you, this painful thing is the thing that's left undone, the thing that's still missing or the thing still longed for. Maybe yours is hard to let go because of the huge void it will leave there. And for some of us here today, it's hard to let go because we're not sure how we would ever live without it. It's been with us so long. I try very much to not only preach balance to you, but when I'm in that office counseling people, I try to be very balanced so that they'll have not just a how you should, uh, how God expects us to live, but a how to, how to get there. How do you navigate unspeakable sorrow? It's such a broad subject and I don't have time to, to cover it fully, but let me just tell, for those of you that are still grieving the abandonment of a spouse, or, excuse me, or the betrayal of someone or, or the loss of a child or a mom or a dad and it's just, pastor, I, I, I can't, I, it's too big, it's too much. My counsel to you is don't, don't try to stop crying. Just cry toward the Lord. And there'll come a day when you've cried unto him and you've cried unto him, God will tell you when it is. He told Joshua, he said, you've cried for Moses long enough. Come on. It's time to go into the new year. I know what he meant to you. I know he's irreplaceable. I know you'll never be the same without him, but you've cried long enough. And there's some of you, the Lord gave me this point to tell you that that sorrow as real as it is and that hole in your life as real as it is, you've cried enough over that thing. You can still grieve and be sorrowful, but not be consumed with the grief and sorrow. And you may shed tears in 2014, but not that uncontrollable lamenting. It's time to live again. Last year, I believe it was, I told you in one of the sermons about David when he prayed for his little boy and prayed for his little boy to live and prayed for his little boy to live and he stood before the Lord and he prayed and he fasted and they got word, your child is dead. He got up, washed his face and worshiped. It was like, what's wrong? He said, the baby's gone now. There's nothing else I can do except have another baby. And you know what? I'm not mean to be lighthearted about the thing that you lost, but listen to your pastor. I'm familiar with pain. God doesn't replace the thing I've lost. Sometimes that void remains. But if you think for a moment, he wants me to live in the crater of what I've lost and not in the joys of what he has for me, you've lost your mind. He said, I know the plans I've had, but you don't know what happened. You don't know what's ahead. 
Great joy is ahead of you. The painful thing, you have to face it head on, cry till you can't cry no more, cry unto God and then let it go. It's a memory. And every now and then, some days it's stronger than others. But our life is not built on what has happened to us. Our life is built on what God has purposed for us. And that's not just semantics. Number six, very quickly, the defining thing. For Abraham, it was Isaac. The defining thing is the thing that's intricately intertwined with you. It is often priceless, treasured, and it is responsible for your greatest joys. The defining thing is almost always irreplaceable. Say, wait a minute now, Pastor John, what do you mean? Go into 2014 and not carry with me my most precious things? Listen to this verse. The angel of the Lord called out to Abraham, Genesis 22, and said, by myself have I sworn, says the Lord, for because you have done this thing and if you, you've not withheld your son, your only son, Isaac, that in blessing I will bless you and in multiplying I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore and your seed shall possess the gate of your enemies and in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. What God wants us to do with the defining thing is not to throw it away in last year, but to go into 2014 holding it open-handed. And God tells us in his word, in so many words, my greatest blessings are reserved for those people who withhold nothing from me. And God spoke from heaven when Abraham lifted that knife to kill his son. He said, I know now that you fear me. And if you look at the context, that I am your number one thing, your number one priority, your number one relationship. And because you would not withhold the irreplaceable thing, the precious thing, the priceless thing, I swear by myself, since I couldn't find any greater, that I'm going to multiply you and bless you in ways that are going to blow your circuits. God's greatest blessings are reserved to those people who have no reserves with him. So that would be for me today, my two little girls and my wife. Does he want me to walk away from my little girls? Absolutely not. But to walk into 2014 open-handed. Some of you know what it's like to open your hand and God take the thing out of your hand. And that's our greatest fear. Do you trust today more your grip on that thing or God's desire for you to have it? Because in the end, if we live long enough, there's nothing we can hold on to anyway. So go into 2014. Don't hold your career like this, your job like this, your house like this, your cars. I know there's some seasoned saints in here. You know what I'm talking about. You've held it like this and you've lost homes and careers and opportunities and even your health for a season. But this grip right here will stifle your love for the Lord Jesus Christ on anything. You ain't gonna convince me that Abraham went up that hill. Oh, praise the Lord, it's time to kill Isaac. His father said, Daddy, there's the wood and there's the fire, but where's the sacrifice? I can imagine that lump in his throat when he couldn't even swallow. God, God, will, God will provide a sacrifice for us. Go into 2014 
don't let the thing grip like this be like an anchor dragging on you. No besetting thing, no borderline thing, no excessive thing, no hidden thing, no painful thing, no defining thing. God doesn't want me defined by my little girls. He wants me defined by him. Is there anything in your life that is more defining to you than the Lord Jesus Christ? If it is, it's an idol. So what's the balance? John, I love you so much. I gave you Isabel and Olivia. That's how, so how can I not trust him? What you clutch, you kill. So I want to live this year open-handed. If our musician would come, please. And finally, the things behind you. Excuse me one moment. The thing behind you. I'd never seen this verse like this until I was studying for this message for you. When Paul said, it's not that I've already attained or either were made perfect, but I follow after if that I might apprehend that for which I've been apprehended of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm not saying I'm perfect, but this one thing I do, this one thing I do, I'm forgetting the things that are behind. Things. Everything. And it's not like you blank out your memory so we don't remember blessings. It means that no, I don't carry the things over. Now they're a part of me. They're, I digested them. I assimilated them. I enjoyed them. They're part of me. But I don't want to carry anything into 2014. Forgetting the things that are behind. If it's behind you, in one sense, forget it. Not erase it from your mind, but don't let it be an indicator of your future. Forget it. Kelly's teaching our little girls when they get up, we're trying to wean them off pacifiers. Y'all pray for us. Merciful Lord. Fits at 17 months old. Y'all didn't tell me they could do fits at 17. Bow their back up, have seizures, levitate. You take that passy away. I'm like, oh my God. But Kelly's taught them this thing. When it's time to eat, we walk by the sink. What do you tell them? Drop it. And so they take it out and they drop it in the sink and she just praises them. And they don't realize we've tricked them. They're like, yay. And they're like, yay. And then they go, huh? No, we done dropped it. Drop it. What she's saying though is this meal that I've prepared you is unavailable until you drop it. As long as that is in your mouth, the grilled chicken the corn, the lima beans, the bread, and the apple cobbler or peach cobbler. It's, none of that's yours. How many of us are clutching onto something familiar and comfortable that's absolutely not harmful from last year? And God said, if you'll take that out of your mouth, I'll give you the things I prepared for you this year before the foundation of the earth was laid. I prepared this for you, but you've got to forget it. Drop it. That's what I hear in my spirit. Like, drop it. And you're like, drop it. Yay, yay. And then when you start to melt down, he goes, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Look what I have for you. 
You know what everything means? Forgetting those things. It means everything. Everything that you've experienced. Everything that you've suffered. Everything that you endured. Everything that you weathered. Forget it. Everything that was said to you. Said about you and said to others. Forget it. Everything that was stolen, misrepresented, withheld, or given to someone else, forget it. Every promise that was broken, every relationship that was destroyed, and every hope that was dashed, forget it. Every bad day, every bad week, every bad month, every bad season in 2013, God's Word tells you to forget those things because they're behind you. And press on toward the mark of the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. Every disappointment, let me finish my sermon. Every disillusionment, every disaster, every dissatisfaction, every night that you couldn't sleep, and every night that you cried yourself to sleep, every closed door, every dark sky, every place of limitation, every confinement, every disappointment, every discouragement, every disillusionment. Did they happen? Yes. Did they wound us? Yes. Did they shape us? Yes. Did it give us a limp? Yes. But I can't carry that and not spoil what's ahead of me. So I'm forgetting it. So what do you mean by forgetting it? I can't erase it, but I sever the lines. It's in here, but it's not in here. And I'm pressing on toward the mark of the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. The key for you in the coming year is not resolutions. It is not having anything in 2014 that he wanted you to leave back there. So, the same way we tell Olivia and Isabel, drop it. Drop it. And sit down. Because of God's banner over you is love. And he's prepared a table for you in 2014 in the presence of your enemies. I prophesy to you that your cup will run over. Surely goodness and mercy is going to follow you all the days of your life. And you're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Don't bring nothing decaying with you. Don't bring it with you. Leave it. Do you receive this morning? Let's stand together. Praise the Lord. I always want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord because... In the end, a man's words outside of God anointing them have no power. But if you hear the Lord speaking to you, and if you want to follow your pastor this morning, no one looking around, I told him what those things were. By God's grace, I want to leave them in last year. Tell him what yours is. Just loud enough, don't think it, say it. Loud enough for you to hear it. This is the thing, and I'll leave it in 2013.
Kylie, are you still here? Come on front. I'm going to ask my daughter Kylie to close in prayer for us. And I want to summarize in one statement for you. Of course, God's not limited to this statement. But this first Sunday as we prepare for the new year has more to do with what you're not bringing with you than what's ahead of you. This has more to do with what we leave behind than what's ahead of us. Because if nothing's in the way, then we'll experience that which God has for us. I love you, first of all. Will you pray over us? Lord, I'm just so humbled today to just be yours, to have new beginnings, new starts. Not only do you give us second chances, but you give us millionth chances. And I know that that's something that I need sometimes, Lord. So God, we are asking for you, God, just to seal in our hearts what you spoke to us today. God, that we would take it home. And God, that you would just develop a spirit within us, God, just to desire and know you more. God, that we would see you in all things. God, I just pray, God, that this would be our year for whatever you have for us, God, that we wouldn't get one thing more than you have prepared for us and not one thing less, Lord. And we just declare it today that we are yours and we love you. And it is in your great name that we pray today. Amen. Amen. See you tonight at five o'clock. God bless you.